welcome to episode 69 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net, and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of App Advice. In this episode, Trevor and I shoot some pool and do some wordsmithing while solving both mathematical and 3D puzzles. How you doing tonight, Trevor? Doing good. Ready to be a pool shark while playing some words at the same time. Yes. And so it's an interesting time because it turns out WWDC is almost upon us. It's actually a week from Memorial Day. So we're recording on Memorial Day, and then June 4th is going to be the WWDC keynote. Tim Cook and co. will take stage to talk about everything software-based. And so that means iOS 12, watchOS 5, macOS 10.14. So with that in mind, it's interesting to kind of comb through the rumors, talk about our own kind of discussions and see what we have. And really, the main takeaway is we don't have that much. This is Apple's favorite event, I'm sure, internally, just because they can more easily keep it on the down low of what they're going to announce because it's all software that's designed in Cupertino rather than all the parts that are potentially leaked across the world with the different manufacturers and pieces that go all around. So with that in mind, iOS 12, it looks like, is going to be an emphasis on bug fixes and just optimizations to the source code to work on your device as well as possible. And that's not that exciting. (laughs) Right, yeah. We really have not heard of any major iOS 12 features that are coming. There's been no rumors of any. It's all been this... Apple is going to take this this release off to go and make sure they solidify everything that they already have, make sure they eliminate all these bugs that keep on seeming to creep up right after they release a new iOS version and really lock things down so that they can clean up this code that's been problems ever since iOS 11 released. And I don't know, that's really not that interesting. I guess I would love to have a less buggy iOS, but then again, I don't tend to run into that many issues so i'd rather have more features honestly than have but then again i don't even know what features i want yeah that's kind of the takeaway we were talking beforehand what is it you open up your iphone or your ipad and you're like man if they could do this i could actually use my device and i mean there's little nitpicks of kind of trying to push the ipad towards being a replacement for the mac in terms of pro type of functionality but in terms of the phone it Apple's kind of got the iPhone down. There's features on Android that some people would like, but really it's not limiting your usability of the device. So it kind of comes down to like these bonus features. Like Apple's covered all the low-hanging fruit, and so now it's kind of pushing the boundaries of what Apple wants to do kind of over the next coming years. And so it's likely not going to be at this WWDC when you think of cross-platform functionality where an app works on the Mac as well as the iPhone and iPad. It's one universal build that's probably down the road. Apple's focusing a lot on augmented reality where you can have your phone out, essentially pan your actual surroundings. You're walking down the street and you'll have little logos appear for your Starbucks right over here or other restaurant menu pops up here. You have coupons for a store down here. But that's kind of down the road. Apple's working towards there. They're pushing towards it, but it's not going to be an iOS 12. It's not going to be revealed next Monday. Right. Yeah, I guess one thing that we have started to hear rumors about is just improved NFC usage so that you could use it to unlock doors or other things where Android folks have used this for a long time where we're just kind of finally getting this kind of stuff on iOS, which is a nice to have, but really it's not like a 
standout feature that would sell iOS 12 to people. So I don't know. I'm hoping there's something beyond these bug release, bug cleanup kind of focus that we get at WWDC, like some big feature that we didn't know was coming because they finally were able to keep their mouths shut and not blab about everything that was coming out. Right. That's the hope to actually make this event exciting rather than we have a checklist of what's Apple's going to announce and then they kind of just go through it. And, you know, there's going to be probably new Animojis. They might be able to add Animojis to FaceTime calls where it's more like a Snapchat kind of live filter. But they're small little things. Kind of interesting is that Apple's released features that they haven't really come back to. You think of Siri and the way Amazon Alexa and Google Voice Search has, you know, passed Siri. Siri was kind of the first one out of the gate and other companies have kind of surpassed them and... Apple really doesn't mention Siri much at all. It's not really part of their advertising campaign anymore. And it's a question, are they going to go back to it? Right, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of these things. Like, we talked about, it was a couple of weeks ago, I think, where we talked about the touch bar. They made this big deal about the touch bar on the MacBook, and then they kind of forgot about it. Here we have Siri, like you just mentioned. We have uh, Force Touch, which they never seem to do anything with. Uh, Face ID, I expected more of that to be implemented across the board. It still seems to be a slow rollout for, for all these apps to start supporting it instead of a manual login. But then again, that's down to individual developers. But it just seems like they have these big features that they make a big splash about when they first come, and then they kind of just disappear into the ether because Apple doesn't really know how to take them to that next step or what to continue to drive interest in these that want developers to adopt them. And I don't know, are we going to see this with AR where they're big proponents of it, but and it's kind of gimmicky right now where developers are implementing it. Are we going to see more of that where it's actually useful stuff that's coming? Or is that, like you said, an iOS 13 thing that's really going to, they're going to attack it then? Yeah. 3D Touch is probably even the better example just because there's so many potential use cases. And essentially Apple's given us the ability to tap and hold on an app to bring up a shortcut menu. That's about it. Developers have tried to use it, you know, in games and various ideas, but that comes from them trying new ideas. Apple themselves are like, we don't know what else you can use 3D Touch with. In fact, we're probably going to release the iPhone SE, the new version, without 3D Touch. iPads still don't have 3D Touch. And so if you support it, you don't support it. We don't really care. You can. We gave you the developer API, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that seems to be their new MO, where they just like, hey, we have this awesome thing, now we're just going to forget about it. And I, I don't know, maybe we're going to get one a new awesome thing they'll forget about in iOS 12. Yep, and so that's pretty much iOS 12. There also will likely be watchOS 5, but with that, it's interesting because now the first watch came out in 2015. So there's now three editions of watches that all have different processors and different battery life and all that. So when Apple is developing the watchOS, they can only do so much because they're still supporting watchOS, the first Apple Watch from 2015. But then there's likely going to be a new Apple Watch later this year. And so if you really want new features like all-day battery life or all-night battery life for sleep tracking or maybe an always-on display or more advanced activity tracking... That probably requires new hardware. I don't know how much Apple can do on the software side of things 
to be able to push the platform forward, but then have the old model still support it. Right. I think it's going to end up having to be one of these things where they say this subset of the new features we're bringing you will only work on the latest model. They have to. I mean, you can only support the older models for so long if you don't want to stifle new innovations in the software that require actual hardware updates in order to do it. So I think at some point they're going to have to do this. And they we've seen it with the phones where they only support certain new features on certain subsets of the phones. It's just with the watch, we only have three previous versions. But I think that first model, which is the one you have, I think they're going to have to start phasing it out in order to move forward. And there were rumors that this next watch is going to be a complete redesign it's going to be a different whole physical shape i'm hoping they don't go with the stupid circle but i might actually jump in on this next uh this fourth iteration of it to finally get an apple watch yeah i'm trying to think when was the first ios version that didn't support the first iphone or the first ipad version that, or the first version of iOS that didn't support the first iPad and how many years they give you. Because three years, that's pretty good life for an Apple device before it's just no longer updated. So maybe this is the year that that first Apple Watch, it's that forced obsolescence. I think, I mean, you're, it's not going to be completely obsolete. You just won't have yeah. access to whatever these new features are, which odds are, even if they tried to implement them on the first a version of the watch it's going to be too slow or something it's not going to be an ideal user experience that you're not going to want to have those features anyways on that watch yep and really i think the watch covers or i don't know if it covers everything people want but people have become familiar with what it does its limitations its capabilities and kind of accepted it there's no like this is a big ticket thing. I'm have, you know, my watch sucks because of this, or I'm not getting the watch because of this. I know for you it's the sleep tracking thing, but again, that's more hardware based. So I don't know software based. People are on, you know, the fence because there's some limitations software wise on the watch. Right. Yeah. The only limitation hardware wise, the only limitation I've had is the hardware wise. It's not software. I just want something with better battery life. I don't want, like, that's the problem I have with my current Pebble is. It is so old at this point that the battery barely lasts a day, and I have to charge this thing every single day, which is not what I want to do with a watch. And so I'm really hoping this fourth gen is much improved battery life to get you at least three or four days without having to charge. Yeah, and so that's pretty much Watch OS 5. And then Mac OS 10.14, we're on the cycle right now where Apple releases a main version with new features and then the next year they release an updated version that pretty much cleans up all the new features of the previous version so <laughs> we had sierra and then right now we're on high sierra so with that in mind this is likely a new feature release we're not sure what those new features are but you could guess at some names because apple's been picking places from california and then they've trademarked certain names certain places like mojave and sedoma so Sequoia is one that they did, and it's a really interesting choice because it's iconic. It has the whole Redwood Forest and everything. So this year they could do a Sequoia with a big feature release, and then next year have a specific kind of cleanup that's called Redwood. And now you have two years already set with California names. 
Well, they could do tall Sequoia. <laughs> I don't know. They, they, they I, I, the naming has gotten kind of absurd with the High Sierra. I thought it was kind of stupid, but uh, yeah, I think you, your your guess this year is probably accurate. And really, we both have Macs. I don't know what I would want. You know, Mac OS is way more evolved than iOS. It is pretty kind of established as an operating system. It doesn't have that kind of much room for innovation growth without coming in to touch ideas, which Apple's going to keep Mac and iOS separate. So in terms of a desktop operating system, Mac has most things you could think of. Yeah, there's really nothing that I find lacking that I need on my day-to-day basis. My computer does what I need it to do, and that's about it. I, I can't think of anything that's missing. Yep, so name is the only kind of interesting point. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a good recap, or not a recap, but a preview of WWDC 2018. We'll have lots to talk about this time next week once the actual keynote is concluded and we'll see if there's any kind of excitement from the event yep hopefully there's something to get us excited to talk about it rather than just repeating kind of boring long slides yep so again june 4th 10 a.m you'll likely be able to stream it live and that means it's time for some apps and this week castro it's not a new app, but it's essentially new with its complete update, redesign, payment structure change. Yeah, so Castro is a, a podcasting app, and originally when it came out, I believe it was four ninety nine. I bought it back then. I, well, they had two versions. They had Castro, and then they updated it, and it became Castro 2. And now they've updated it again, it's, so it's really Castro 3, but they ha- did not release like a new app where they could have and forced people to re-download it. But if you were someone who purchased the original app for four ninety nine, you now got this update for free. Anyone can now download Castro for free. But they're, they're switching the whole structure of the app because they realize they need a, a constant set of income where people just buying this app and then keeping it for years and years, they don't really have any income coming in to then update the app. But granted, they have a few new people buying the app here and there, but it's also kind of a, a way to keep people out with that four ninety nine. where I don't know if I want to try this podcast app for four ninety nine because I can go and uh, download this other one for free. And so now this is a way, we talked about free trials last week, this is sort of a free trial. You get the basic features of the app absolutely for free now. And then it's now a subscription model if you want to go ahead and subscribe to get unlock a few additional features. None of them are required features. So you're welcome to use the basic set of features absolutely for free. And if you owned Castro 2, you get a couple of those paid features for free as well. A nighttime mode, as well as this kind of voice improvement mode that you can turn on, which at faster speeds, it it alters things in order to make it sound nice and clear and you get crystal clear sound. Obviously, you're listening to podcasts, so it's all going to be voice. So to have that thing that kind of tweaks the sound a bit and makes it sound a little clearer is, is awesome. And the thing I really like about Castro is it takes a completely different 
mentality of all your traditional podcasting apps. And this is kind of why I switched to it. I wanted to give it a try because normally you have all these podcasts you subscribe to and you can create playlists and add certain podcasts into certain playlists and then new episodes will appear in your playlist and you can decide if you just want it to play through those or you kind of uh, have to step through each one at a time. The way Castro works is it's super simplified. You subscribe to all these podcasts you want, and then you have a single inbox, and then you have a single playlist. And so what happens is you decide if on X podcast, if you want the new episodes when they come in to go into this inbox for you to decide if you want to add it to your playlist or not, or you can decide if you want certain episodes of those shows to go in and appear at the top of the timeline, so it'll be the next one you listen to, or at the end of the timeline. And then eventually you'll get around to it once you kind of filter through the rest of your your episodes you have in that timeline. But it just super simplifies everything, and it's, it keeps it nice and clean. And so there's certain podcasts I always want to listen to when a new episode comes out. And now those appear at the top of my list. They're ready to play. And other ones I kind of want to delay, or maybe I don't want to listen to every episode. Like, they have a guest that I don't really care about. I don't want to have it mucking up my timeline. So... I can go into the inbox anytime I want and decide if I want to add it into my list or I can drag it anywhere in the list that I want or add it to the top or bottom super quickly. And it's just a nice, clean interface for all of this. And as part of this update, they just completely rewrote the uh, the whole player within the thing. They used to use Apple's UI and all of their tools for, for playing of the podcast, but now they wrote their own thing from scratch and allows them to have better control over the thing, over the the way episodes are queued and played, and the way they download when if you decide you want to stream up their podcast, they now have a cleaner way to download so you don't accidentally maybe download too much information uh, or use up all of your, your data because it's downloading the way Apple wants you to download it. So they've done all these kind of really nice tweaks to the back end that you don't even notice. But it's nice and easy to use and a clean inbox and interface. I just, I, I it's become my my go-to podcast app. This is the only one I use now. And it's great if you subscribe to the App Advice Weekly podcast. But <laughs> it's, I, I really like the inbox, clean, simplistic, minimalistic idea and just have all your, pot, you know, rather than just having this whole like laundry list, it's cleaner and easier to get through episodes you actually want to the few that you actually do subscribe to and then like you said redesigning the entire player rather than using apple system is just a stroke of genius because apple has their own podcast app so you have to distinguish yourself any way that you can and then you can download the app for free now everyone could try it it can be a utility that you use completely for free and then it's just 2.99 per quarter or 8.99 for the whole year and then you get those enhanced features, which mainly emphasize kind of cleaning up and optimizing the audio of the different voices that you're listening to, speed up through slow sequ- or silent sequences, and just kind of enhance it. It's not, oh, I can't use this app without paying money. So it's just kind of supporting the developers as well as getting some nice enhancements to the app. Right, yeah, I definitely, if you have not tried Castro because of the, the it was a paid app before and you didn't want to pay four ninety nine for a podcasting app, Definitely give it a try, and whether or not you decide to go and pay for these these other features, you don't need them, but 
I think you'll like the the different way that they approach building your po- keeping track of your podcast and building that that universal playlist and it's definitely worth a try. Yep, so that's Castro Podcasts. It's free and it's universal. And that means it's time for some games and we'll start this week with Pocket Run Pool. It comes from Zach Gage who has made a bunch of games we've talked about on the podcast like Really Bad Chess and Spell Tower and with this one it kind of fits in with the games that he makes where it takes a traditional kind of established game style and provides his own kind of unique twist on it. So in this case, it's pool that's made to be played as a single player experience with a few little puzzle uh, additions because each pocket that you could potentially hit a ball into has a multiplier. So you want to hit into that times 10 multiplier as often as you can, but it really comes down to where the balls kind of line up where your cue ball is and so you always kind of try to have a specific focus on each of your shots and then if there's any of your shots that you don't pocket anything or you scratch the cue ball then you lose a ball you only have three balls so it's kind of like you have three lives and so you want to hit a ball in every single time so say something doesn't line up with that times 10 multiplier you might want to just try the times eight or say it's just the number two ball is over by the one multiplier it's right there well, it's only two points. Even if you had the 10 multiplier, it's only 10 points. It's that 10, 11, 12, 13 ball that you really want to get into those multipliers. So the ball number also matters as well as the position on the board. And so it's kind of a more arcade style way to play pool that you can play in your own time. You don't have to wait, you know, turn-based online multiplier style. You just get to play a game of pool. Right. It's that whole puzzle aspect that I think is really neat about this game because Yes, you do want to try to get a ball in every single time, but you can also game the system with those those scratches. Because if you say you have uh, a ball that's kind of blocking your access to that 13 that you could otherwise shoot into the, the uh, 10-time multiplier pocket, you might waste a ball just by trying to knock the one that's out of the, that's in your way so that it doesn't go in, but just gets it out of the way, and now you scratch, now you get your ball back, your cue ball back originally where it was, and the pockets don't change at that point. So you still have the 10 times multiplier in the same spot it was, so now you might have just opened the ability to shoot that 13 ball into the times 10. So there's the whole not wasting those, but also using them to your advantage in order to line things up or get the highest score you possibly can. It might come back to bite you later if you do accidentally miss too many shots, because then every ball that you don't get in, you don't get any points for. But another way you can also game it is the eight ball. When you get that one in, it shuffles around all the pocket multipliers. So normally they just keep on rotating every turn, clockwise one hole or one pocket and when you hit that eight ball in then it kind of just cycles them around a a certain amount of time so now they're not it's not the the pattern you were used to and so there's all these ways you can kind of game the system in order to help you get that highest score and you just have to figure it out so it's not just getting the balls in but also planning ahead playing multiple moves ahead in order to get the highest possible score you can and then there's multiple ways to play so you can have the standard run where you kind of just go for a specific score and then there's an instant tournament which 
you know, it usually is only 30 minutes. You try to get your best score and you can earn some coins and it only costs 250 coins to buy in and you get to do different places, earn medals. The high stakes pool, though, has been my favorite mode just because it costs more to buy in and you can lose a lot of coins, but it includes twists. So when you start out, you can, you know, it just randomly scrolls through it and it might be like adds three bumpers to the board or it puts in three sudden death balls near certain holes or the balls change size so the 12 and 13 are these huge balls and then the 10 is this little tiny ball and there's all these little twists and you can kind of even gamble more so you can start with one twist and then add another one so now you have to deal with two conditions or you can just go with the one and just kind of bank that and so it all is just these little changes to make the game tougher and so it builds upon the puzzling core idea of the game yeah yeah i do like that how it, it really changes things up so you're not just like your typical game of pool now things are kind of thrown all kind of wacky and different and it, i know it's just a a unique take on pool where yeah normally you're just used to shooting and trying to get all the balls in or get all of your type of balls in where this just it's a different approach, and I think it's perfectly Zach Gage. Like, this is what he does. He takes games that you're used to, puts his own little unique twist on them, and it's something like, oh, why has no one thought of this before? And then you are you ha just have a lot of fun playing in this crazy take on something familiar. Yeah, I mean, it's almost exactly what really bad chess does for chess, where you don't have to be a super chess expert and then every time that you play it, it's going to be different because you're given a different arrangement of pieces and it changes the way you think about those chess pieces. And so Pocket Run Pool does the same thing where it changes the way you think about what shots you're going to aim for, what pockets you're going for, and just it changes your whole thought structure for pool. Yes, yeah, yeah. And one last mode um, that I just wanted to mention, this is... Uh, one that you get when you do the paid unlock is this break of the week. So it's a setup, it's a unique setup every week, and you try to score your highest score you possibly can. It's like the balls have already been the, all, broken and they're all over the table, and now you just gotta try to figure out how to solve this puzzle, basically, and get the highest score you can with the same setup. Everyone's looking at the same exact setup. You can try it as many times as you want during the week to try to improve your score, and then hopefully at the end of the week you have the highest score out of out of everyone that's there, or, or see how high you can get. Yeah, that's definitely worth noting. So, Pocket Run Pool, it's free, it's universal, and then you can unlock that additional mode and support Zach Gage with the in-app purchase. Yep. And then there's Scalac, which is a new puzzle game that is kind of like, it's a tough one to explain. It's kind of like a 3D jigsaw, or imagine if jigsaw puzzles got combined with Monument Valley, where your 3D perspective actually kind of changes the idea. And so you have these, it, the game starts with these cubes and they're sides that are missing. And so there's these various different shaped pieces that you need to put into the cube, but the pieces only go in at a certain angle. So if it needs to be, you know, say the piece is facing left, that means you need to rotate the cube so that the side you need to fill in is on the left so that piece can go in. And these pieces aren't just like, it starts out with simple shapes, but then they become these more complex shapes where it might be this slash diagonal 
or this little arrow piece that goes into this square and it fits just right and they both have to go in at different angles and the game builds upon itself in this idea of changing the perspective of the cube so that it aligns with the piece and the piece can fit in and then those pieces are going to kind of match up and merge even though there's such weird incongruent shapes at first glance. Yeah, I love how this game, the progression of the game. So it starts out where you're not even rotating the cubes. You just have the, you have to pick out which ones kind of go in the right perspective. Then it's a matter of they give you kind of a lot of alike pieces that you now have to put them in the correct order. Otherwise, you can block yourself from filling in certain spots. Then you add in that rotation part then they add in things where you have to line them up so that the colors meet up so they light up then they add in ones where you slide things around and you have to reposition them almost like a slide puzzle to get the pieces in the right order to form the shape to then put the shapes in the empty spots but then you might have to rotate parts of those things to then fit them in those spots it just gets crazy complex as they keep on building and building this thing up and it is it was so entertaining i had a trouble putting this down i was playing this right before we recorded and i was getting close to recording time and i, I had trouble just stopping myself from playing more and more and more of this because it's just you just want to play that next level to see what they now are going to do and what they've added how they combine the previous things you saw all into one giant monster of a puzzle that you got to figure out and solve. Yeah, even though they keep introducing new things across 90 levels, it never feels completely overwhelming because they prepare you. You know, they give you a couple levels so you get the idea of those little things going together. And then that single cube morphs into this whole grid array of cubes that you need to deal with, or those pieces shift from specific shapes into these line connectors. And like you said, it just is always intriguing to go on to the next level to see what next they're going to build it out. Because, you know, I think this developer with uh, Zenge and Push, he did too many levels building on a single concept. Like it would take 10 levels of one concept to then advance to the next one. This one, he's cut it down so you're getting those new concepts more regularly. So it makes it more varied. So you're more intrigued to keep going. Right, yeah, yeah. You're not going to keep on repeating the basic pieces over and over again. You see a couple of examples, and then he starts to combine things, and then maybe he revisits something you saw near the beginning or like 20 levels ago, but now it's combined with another element to make it that much tougher. So it's a nice gradual progression throughout the game, and it's never, it's not slow or anything. It's a perfect speed, it's not too quick. It's perfectly done, and I think he learned from the previous apps of how best to do this, and it's just it was a blew me away. Like I had no idea what to expect, and this one really captured my attention. Yeah, if you're a fan of any type of 3D puzzles, or like I said, jigsaw puzzles, Monument Valley, any kind of 3D perspective shift, you're going to be right at home. And so that's Scalac. It's a dollar ninety nine. It's Universal, and then there's Wards Royale, which comes from Nimblebit. You know them. They made Tiny Tower. They made Pocket Frogs, Pocket Trains, and they also made Capitals. Capitals was their word game where essentially it's a head-to-head -head word game. You have a base, your opponent has a base, and you try to make words to then use the letter tiles to reach the opponent's base. Words Royale is essentially Capitals with a rebranding, a renaming, you know, subtle updates but essentially, it's just a new version of Capitals. And that's not necessarily the worst thing. The game is free to download, and it allows you to play head-to-head -head word games 
with your friends. And the main kind of distinction or difference with this one is the single player component where you can actually, there's six levels, I think, of difficulty for computer AIs to play against and you unlock them as you beat the previous installment. So you can always play with your friends, but if you've ever played Capitals or Words with Friends or any of those type of games, you know, sometimes you have to wait for them to go. When you're playing an AI opponent, you can play the game right there in one sitting and truly play the full vocabulary test that the game is intended for. Yeah, I was having trouble telling if I was playing against an AI or playing against a really fast online opponent some of these times. But it was super quick to get a game up and running and going. And some of some of the matches, they were pretty tough. There was a lot of back and forth, back and forth in order to uh, finally I was able to win. But it kept on being this kind of push-pull and they would get a few letters back and then I wouldn't have the letters I needed in order to reach their, their ca- or I almost said capital, to reach their <laughs> their tower and uh, and beat them. But, now I'm trying to remember, wasn't capital, like, wasn't it a paid app when that first came out? I almost want to say it was like a 99 cent app. I thought it was free just because Nimblebit started doing free games after Skyburger. Maybe it was. I I don't really remember. But either way, yeah, I understand that now it's like super, well, not super free to play, but it has the whole built from the ground up mechanics for free to play where each game costs 50 coins and you can monetize the coins that way. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one kind of weird thing is just it's more of a hassle. So Capitals, it was really easy. You essentially press play and there was a choice to connect to your friends or have a random opponent and you're just up and going. This one, you need friend codes or you have to go and join these special groups. It's like hashtag whatever. And then you can play people from those groups. And so it's a little more tedious to get up and running with multiplayer. But on the flip side, it's easier to get up and running with those AI opponents. Yeah, okay. So I looked it up. And Capitals, it sounds like you had a certain number of lives that you were able to use, but you couldn't start another game until uh, you finished one. And then you had to pay 99 cents to refill your lives in order to uh, continue on and create additional games. So that's what it was. They had sort of a, a paid component if you wanted to go above like three games at once. So now they've gone fully free to play. And I think you can have multiple games going at once. I don't know that I've ever tried because they play so fast. Yeah, you can. Yeah. And but yeah, the whole friend code thing is super annoying. And it even let me I believe it let me put in my email address, but there's no way to search by email address. So it didn't really make any sense like the this is what are we back in the Wii? like where you need this friend code like i don't know it i guess with the defunct game center that no one can actually add anyone or really even use that much except things that already exist or they give you achievements with it there's no better way unless they want to tie into like facebook or twitter or some other social network than but there should be an easier way than having to to use like a four-digit friend code. Yep. So that is Words Royale. If you like that kind of head-to-head, word-based multiplayer game, the core gameplay is identical to Capitals, 
but it's still a good game if you've never tried Capitals. And if you have, maybe it will inspire you to go back in and try the style again. Yep. And so then there's Zero Sum, which is a math-based puzzle game where essentially you have to input different order of operations or mathematical equations to get to zero. So, you know, it starts out where there's a two, a two, a two, and a two. So there's four twos across, and you need to put plus minus to make sure it balances out to zero. And so then as you go, it's going to become more complex, where the number equations require different or, uh, different operators to input, and the it's really more challenging to get that zero because the different sides change up like when you have that say there's a six and a three you can make it 63 or you can make it six minus three six plus three so it all depends where you put that operator of how it's going to change the equation and then the equations are going to become more complex where it goes horizontal and vertical and there's a whole story mode actually which is probably the most intriguing part of the game that you were telling me about yeah, so the story mode is hilarious. So basically the premise is you uh, you are this graduate student and your professor, who is your mentor, has just found the cure for cancer and it's a mathematical equation and these terrorists break into her, her uh, classroom and... Uh, end up, this is not the hilarious part, but they kill her. <laughs> but as she's, I'm sorry, that this sounded so bad when I started to get to that point. And so they kill her, but as she's dying, she wipes her hands down the board and erases parts of the mathematical equation. You race in, and then you're talking to her as she's dying, and she tells you that you need to resolve these uh, mathematical equations to rediscover the cure for cancer. And it's it's all done with actual actors, and they have a, an amazing trailer. If you haven't seen the trailer, you should definitely search that on YouTube. It's all the cinematic trailer where it's all acted out, and then they have almost kind of like these versions of them within the game where they're acting out and saying the same lines of dialogue that appear like in the trailer. And you, it's this whole story that goes on as you go through these 10 problem set levels, and then the story continues after you do those. But each one of those problem sets has kind of a different aspect to it. So one of them is Crazy Hard, where you are trying to solve the puzzles as quickly as you can, because if you take too long, the operators that you've already put into the puzzle start to disappear. They lock in place once you've actually solved an equation to net to a sum of zero. Otherwise, if you're still trying to figure it out, they're going to erase as you're typing them in. So you've got to quickly do this. And then you, there's other ones where you're trying to, well, in all of these, you're trying to get each, solve these equations within a certain number of moves. And the early ones, it's not so bad. You can pretty much do it. And if, cause you could take your time and think about it. Once you start getting these where it's like super time-based and you got to do them quickly. I just gave up and I'm like, I don't even care how many moves it takes me. I'm just going to solve this thing if I can. And, but then like the one where there's one where it's timed also, where you have to solve it within a certain amount of time. Otherwise you have to restart that level. The annoying, the only annoying part I had was if you were someone who's like a completionist and really wants to get all these 
perfectly done in the perfect amount of moves. There was no way to restart just a single level. You had to restart the whole block of that many levels and rewatch the whole cutscene before you could even attempt it again. And you had to keep on tapping the screen to skip through the dialogue. So if you're someone who gets really annoyed by that kind of thing where you want to have a perfect score, then that could be a little frustrating. But the story itself is absolutely hilarious, and you're going to want to play through all the chapters of the story to get the entire the entire thing. Yeah, it reminded me of Calculator the game, but then built out. So that game, it's you know one single line, one single equation per level. This one kind of takes that idea, expands upon it, and builds it out in every way imaginable. So you, every kind of change that you do impacts the entire screen, every piece. So just I, I would agree with you to focus on the story mode. Don't worry about the time trials. But then there also is the daily challenge mode to kind of give the game some legs. Right, yeah. So every day I've been going in since I completed it. And there's just a quick, this has no uh, number of move goals or anything. You can go do the daily challenge and just kind of step through 10 puzzles and it's a random assortment of puzzles from all the different types that they they have although there was there's one type that i haven't seen appear in that which is one where they kind of gave you a a variety of things you could put in so instead of the plus minus or delete the current operator they they would give you like the numbers to put in and so you're filling in the numbers not the operators and trying to figure out which of these three numbers they give you should go in each of these boxes. And I have not seen those appear in the daily puzzles yet, but it's a just a fun little brain activity to just quickly go through these little math puzzles and kind of keep yourself, your mind active and see if you can figure these out. None of them are super difficult. They're all, it only take you a few minutes to go through them, but it's just a fun little exercise to do. Yep, and so that's zero sum. If you're searching on the App Store, you can just search Zero Sum, but it's zero slash sum, and it's $1.99. It's universal. And then to round out the week is Far Away 3 Arctic. And so we've talked about Far Away 2, and we missed Far Away 1. So it's worth mentioning 3, just because it's a 3D puzzle adventure game similar to, is it called The Witness? <laughs> the Witness. Yes. And so it has a similar vibe, but it's kind of a straightforward, more simplified version where you go from puzzle to puzzle. It's not as much walking around to kind of find the next puzzle sequence. And so the third installment, it's not going to go about reinventing the wheel. It's essentially a continuation where Far Away 1 was in the desert, Far Away 2 is in the jungle, and now Far Away 3 is in the Arctic. But it's the same kind of idea where you start the level, you look what paths you can take, you try to go one path, you flip switches and gears, and then you unlock pieces that are going to be used for other paths until you reach the exit point. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing that it's not a whole new game, but it might not be the most complex challenge if you've played the other installments. Right, yeah, I, I found this one to be fairly easy, especially given uh, compared to Far Away 2. I felt like it was a lot quicker but i don't know if that's because i had already played far away too but it seemed like i could just fly through all of the free puzzles that they had within the game uh before you hit the the paywall to unlock the rest of the game yeah and so that kind of might be discouraging for the paywall you know to 
get the levels for free. They're super easy. You might not want to trigger that paywall. So that's kind of the limitation. But you can play quite a few levels in this series for free without paying anything, whether it's the first one, second one, or third one. So that's Far Away 3, Arctic. It's free, and it's universal. And then one last one I just wanted to mention was Handelabra Studios, who released both uh, the digital version and the uh, the digital version of Sentin- Sentinels in the Multiverse, and they did the uh, digital version of Bottom of the Ninth, have now just released a digital version of One Deck Dungeon. And this is kind of a card-based uh, dungeon crawl kind of roguelike, where basically you choose one of the standard character classes, a mage, warrior, rogue, archer, or paladin, and you're basically trying to go through three levels of dungeons and then face off against a boss at the end. And you do that by rolling all these various colored dice, and as you're going through the game, and you unco- there's a whole timing mechanic, which is counting down, and once that timer hits, then you're forced down to the next level of the dungeon. Well, you can stay, but there's penalties if you do. But you go down to the next level of the dungeon, and it gets harder and harder each level that you go down. What happens is on your turn, you have either an enemy you got to face or an obstacle you have to face, and you roll these dice, and you, you have to assign them to the various spots on the card, to and they're color-based. So the, you have to assign the yellow dice to the yellow dice, and pink to the pink squares, and blue, and then there's also these black dice, which can be any one. When you defeat or either the obstacle or the the enemy, then you get these other you get to choose one of the rewards, and this might either be a buff so that you can get another of a certain dice type on your on future turns, or you can get a potion that you can use to spend to like mitigate your dice or change your dice in some way or heal health or some other aspect. Or you can get a special skill, and you have a certain number of skills that you can hold at any given time, and these allow you to manipulate the dice. So you're not always relying on luck of a roll. You have these other skills and things that you can build up that allow you to change those dice into maybe other colors, or get more of the black dice, which allow you to have, which can be used as wilds. And it's this whole thing, but. As you go through the game, you're not going to survive the first round you go through. So once you finish, you're given these little points, which you can then apply to your character. And those carry over to the next game. So eventually, as you keep on checking off these little boxes on your character, you'll unlock special upgrades to your character. So that's where the roguelike element comes, because now you're going into... It fresh with nothing that you had before, but you have a couple of maybe upgrades to the character that now will hopefully help you make it further and further each time you go as you upgrade your character. And so it's, it's a neat way to do a roguelike. I never played the actual physical card game, and I saw this at PAX Unplugged, a, a very short preview of it, and I, I picked it up as soon as it was released this week because... I definitely wanted to check it out and now that it's finished and out. And I highly recommend it. If you like roguelikes or you like digital card or board games, this is really well done. And it's nice and quick and you can hop in and out, but it has that element to keep you coming back because you are upgrading your character and you can make it hopefully further and further. And there's multiple difficulty levels once you kind of reach a point where you want to try something a little harder or add some more challenge to the game. 
and just I like the idea that it's accessible. You know, a lot of these games have kind of quite a learning curve. Even not just digital card games, but like dungeon crawlers with RPG leveling up. This game lets you kind of get in and get out without being bogged down in all kinds of menus and just that, like I said, huge learning curve. Yeah, yeah. It's not the the greatest tutorial in the game, but I think that could have been a little bit better. And they they kind of their how to play is basically a bunch of static screens. I think they could have done a slightly better job with it. But having never played it, I was able to pick this thing up super quick. And then once you're used to it, you can really just fly through the game. They say it only takes fifteen minutes once you're really. Uh, know what you're doing and I found that it doesn't take it took me a little longer than 15 minutes as I was going through but I could definitely see where once you know every, and you start to know the different characters and the different things you can quickly make decisions it's not going to take you as long to progress through the game so that's One Deck Dungeon it's eight ninety nine. it's iPad only and I think that's everything for episode 69 yep that's all I got to everyone listening we hope you enjoy and we'll talk to you next time talk to you later